Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, MLS Commissioner Don Garber goes into detail on the state of the league, its positives and its challenges, while also getting into his own personal story, which includes beating prostate cancer. When I was going through it, it was a two-year process, I was kind of scratching my head and wondering what my life would look like. Uh, and um, during radiation, uh, you know, there were those days where you said, man, I can't believe this is really happening. But when you're on the other end, uh, it seems like a distant memory, and you try to uh, keep hold of those things that you were thinking about during that time. All that and more coming up. This episode of Planet Football is brought to you by Mac Weldon. Guys, whatever you're wearing right now, Mac Weldon is better. Mac Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Mac Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. I just got some Mac Weldon boxer shorts, and I can honestly say they're the best boxers I've ever worn. And Mac Weldon wants you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you, no questions asked. They aren't just comfortable. Mac Weldon looks good, and it performs well, too. It's good for everyday life, going to work, going on dates, and working out. All their products are naturally antimicrobial, which is a fancy word for saying they eliminate odor. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using the promo code PLANET. Easy shopping, great customer service, good-looking, super comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, and hoodies. MacWeldon.com, 20% off using the promo code PLANET. All right, here's my interview with MLS Commissioner Don Garber. Our guest today has been the commissioner of Major League Soccer since 1999. Don Garber is here in Toronto with me for the MLS Cup final between Toronto and Seattle. Coverage starts on Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Big Fox, among other channels. Don, thanks for joining me. Great to be here, Grant, as always. We've been doing this for a long time yeah, now. We're just trying to figure that out. North of 10 years. Good. One of my favorite yeah. times of the year. So I, I do love it. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you got a busy schedule here. Um, we have been doing these interviews for a long time. I want you to be honest. When you took this job in 1999, did you think you would still be the commissioner in 2016? Absolutely not. <laughs> I wasn't sure I'd be the commissioner in 2001 or 2002 when we went through you know our real... Uh, reorganization. Uh, most people don't realize how challenging things were at that time. I mean, we literally were sitting around a conference room table in the MLS offices and in one of our owners' um, uh, offices with bankruptcy attorneys and trying to figure out whether MLS can go forward. Uh, I knew in my heart it would all work out. I was a young guy. I had a promising career in sports. One way or the other, I didn't think I was going to be uh, trying to uh, determine whether or not I'd be able to have a promising career, but I had no, at no point did I think I'd be in this almost 20 years. I'm going to ask some of the usual questions I ask this time of year later on, but to kind of start, I wanted to ask some questions about you. And one in particular was, I didn't realize until recently, and I saw this in Vice, one, that your son, David, works for Vice covering music. He does. Yeah. And he had mentioned that you and he have gone to the Electronica Club Output in Brooklyn more than once. Yes, that's true. And it made me wonder, what's the story there? <laughs> well, I am a passionate music guy, um, more passionate about music than I even am about sports. I mean, I was a jock as a kid and, and still play. And uh, But I grew up in the professional sports environment in my career, Grant. So my kids were dragged to... NFL games and Super Bowls and the like. And when you're in the pro sports business for so long, I kind of lost my affinity as a fan because it's what you do every day. And my son, uh, who you know was a high school athlete, uh, he and I really connected around sports. Hmm. I mean, around music. You know, oh, okay. I, as a young teenage kid, I would drag him to Rolling Stones concerts and Who concerts and the Allman Brothers. And uh, it's almost ironic that he ended up as a music journalist working for Vice. And uh, he's a dance music uh, follower of the, of the 
the, the kind of music that a lot of young people globally are, are engaged in today. And a lot of that music, DJ, dance music, and club music is an offshoot of the music I grew up with in the 70s. And that he is a DJ several mm -hmm. times a week. I go see him many times with my wife or my daughter and our friends. And Output is one of those really cool clubs. And there's a great English DJ named Giles Peterson who has a podcast and a radio show that does all sorts of terrific music. He's probably somewhere in age between you and I. Mm -hmm. And when Giles was coming into Output, David said, hey, we got to go. And it was unbelievable. And we've gone back. He lives in Williamsburg. It's not far from his apartment. And anytime I can see live music, uh, I, I do so. I did see the Rolling Stones for Robert Kraft's 75th birthday with about 300 of his friends. Okay. That was pretty darn cool. But I'm seeing small music around New York City in venues all the time. I love really? it. Yeah. Do you get into it when you're there? Of course I get into it, man. You know, I put on a little hat so nobody knows who I am and kind of rock out. Yeah. So this makes me wonder, what are some other things you do in your life that people might not expect of a sports league commissioner? You know, I have a lot of hobbies that, you know, if I ever thought about retiring, it would not be hard for me. Certainly I would not miss the 24-7, 365 world that any executive in MLS and certainly any sports executive lives. But uh, somehow as a guy who grew up in an apartment building in Queens, I became a very passionate outdoor guy. Okay. Uh, I own a farm in Western New Jersey with a bunch of my friends. It's a 200 acre farm. It's only 45 miles from Manhattan. So I can get out there whenever I want. I'm an avid fly fisherman and I travel and uh, fly fish as much as I can, including on my farm. Uh, I am a, a hunter and I went bird hunting in North uh, Dakota just uh, last month. Hmm. And for a New York City kid, uh, it's kind of unique. Uh, but, you know, between music and between uh, fishing, fly fishing and, and getting out whenever I can, uh, it keeps me very busy. I have a good friend who's a, a fishing guide and captain out in Montauk, Long Island. I go out and crew with him huh. for a boat that he's on. And you'll see lots of pictures of me posting if you had my personal you know, Instagram account. Uh, most of them are grip and grin pictures with large trout and striped bass and maybe a pheasant or two. <laughs> nice. I like that. Yeah, here you go. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask about in terms of sort of big life things, uh, you've beaten cancer. You're cancer free. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, but that must have been a very difficult, potentially life-changing experience. Did it change your life in any particular way? You know, I, I, I think anybody who's survived cancer would have to say it's life-changing. Uh, you know, it starts with, uh, it changes your life and then it comes out of nowhere. You know, I'm mm. a very fit guy. I've exercised my whole life. I eat well. I travel a lot, but I travel with my, my workout clothes. And as the guys will tell you, we're in the gym every morning. Uh, so I was surprised to find out that I had cancer and surprised to find out, as you probably know, I had a reoccurrence after uh, having surgery. Uh, but you know, you, you do what you need to do in life to get through the challenges so that you can be here to live another day. When I was going through it, and it was a two year process. I was kind of scratching my head and wondering what my life would look like. Uh, and, um, during radiation, uh, you know, there were those days where you said, man, I can't believe this is really happening. But when you're on the other end, uh, it seems like a distant memory and you mm -hmm. try to, uh, keep hold of those things that you were thinking about during that time. And with me, it's just trying to recognize life is good. My family matters to me most, uh, more than anything else. My kids, my daughter's recently engaged. My son is somebody I'm close to. I love my wife. I've been married for over 30 years. Um, it's forced me to kind of take a step back more so than ever before and cherish some of those moments that fly by, in particular, as I've been commissioner. Mm -hmm. So the night last week when I was at the, uh, the playoff game in Toronto and the pouring rain and 30, 40,000 people and Toronto comes back, I literally said to myself, you got to just absorb this because there's been so much that's happened personally and professionally. And here you are in one of those moments that actually happened in a very positive way. Baseball gets the Cubs and they get the Cleveland Indians. It's pretty easy to be, have good ratings and to have an exciting World right. Series. We have a great cup. We've had a great playoff, record attendance and ratings. And I think post 
uh, illness, I'm trying to not let those moments fly by and hopefully appreciating them and layering them up so that, you know, you'll be a little bit stronger when we have the challenging times because we all will. And I'm sure I'll have some more. Um, we were just talking as we tend to do kind of catch up before we turn on the recorder here. And I was interested in one thing you were saying about kind of looking at today's landscape in the sports industry and talking about your quote was massive changes you think are coming. And I wanted to probe a little bit. What do you mean by that? What sort of massive changes are we embarking on? Well, you know, you think about uh, the recent NBA collective bargaining agreement, you know, in, in one fell swoop, you had guys that doubled their salaries because their media deal doubled and poured massive uh, revenues into the cap. And the same player now is making twice as much money. And it's not a bad model if you're, uh, <laughs> if you're a basketball player. And that revenue is driven by uh, the media business, which needs pro sports and sports content because of its live nature uh, and the fact that it is not, you, you can't skip it in this world of, of uh, technology. Uh, you have cable cutters and cable nevers. Well, they still going to have to find a way to watch an NBA game or certainly watch an, an MLS game on Fox Network uh, on Saturday night for the first time. Uh, but the ecosystem of our business has been driven by the needs and, and shifting structure of the media business. It's first, it's the cable business is launched and now they need programming. If you see the documentary on the founding of ESPN, I mean, it was tiddlywinks and it was, you know, all sorts of bizarre sports and then then buy pro sports programming. They have to pay for that. And they now have uh, uh, households, cable households and advertisers paying uh, for uh, having ESPN. That creates an opportunity for more money to go into buying sports rights, that turns out to be more revenue for owners and for players. Well, that model's changing a bit. Hmm. You're seeing for the first time the number of cable households decreasing. Right. You're seeing people coming into being consumers and never having cable in the first place. And all that disruption is not going to affect whether people want sports. It's sort of going to affect the economics of what sports will look like going forward. Uh, you know, you, I was coming in on the plane and we were, I was on Twitter and popped up that the NFL game was live on Twitter. You could press on a button, you could watch an NFL right. game. Well, the economics of that are very different than watching it on Fox. So all of that is happening as we speak. Uh, I'm confident that uh, uh, the industry will continue to grow. It's certainly an industry that's been growing at double digit rates for, for many, many years. Uh, but I am taking a step back and thinking a lot about uh, how it will affect the future economics of our industry. Where does esports come in? How does live sports experience change when you have so many great ways to consume content on multiple platforms? Uh, it is the most exciting time, I think, in my decades in sports, frankly. Okay, interesting. Uh, we're near the end of 2016, which has been a pretty transformative year in a lot of ways in the world. Uh, I want you to limit it to soccer terms right now, to your league. When you look at, back at 2016, what are you going to remember most about your league and this year? I think we broke through uh, in ways that we always hoped that we would. Uh, and I'll use the game here in Toronto as the best example. When you get off the plane and the customs person asks why you were there and you said, I'm here to go to the MLS Cup, and they turn to you and rather than asking a lot more uncomfortable questions. They say, hey, you can't believe how big it here it is here in town. Commissioner, let's go TFC. Mm -hmm. I was at a, a restaurant for dinner last night. It was right near the Air Canada Center. The Raptors had finished playing. Fans came into the restaurant. They were showing some highlights and the restaurant erupted with, you know, let's go TFC. It was shocking to me. So we're, we're getting to that point in many markets, though not all, uh, where we're becoming part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, where we've broken through the clutter and have our own piece of real estate uh, that's driven by our own demographics and our own fans uh, who grew up with the game and now are giving us the ubiquity that we've always wanted. I mentioned in an interview that I did the other day, I was in Cincinnati at a black time affair. I was the youngest person in the room mm -hmm. and some 70-year-old guy got up and said, 
I never thought I'd ever watch a game. I certainly never thought I'd, I'd go to a game. And I went to an FC Cincinnati game and I'm hooked. Hmm. Generally, I'd go to those meetings and people would want to talk about the NFL or the Cincinnati Reds, or they wouldn't want, would say, soccer is never going to make it in America. Hmm. That sort of tipping point, that overused expression, which I think businesses have multiple opportunities to tip over, I think we're at that point coming out of our 2016 season, record attendance, record ratings, lots of exciting things going on, lots of energy behind expansion and the like. Okay. Um, these two teams here, Seattle and Toronto in the final, first time both either team has made a final. I like to say that both cities, Toronto and Seattle, MLS feels major league. I can't say that about every MLS city, but these definitely feel that way. And there are some similarities between these teams. They both sort of set the bar in MLS in different ways. You've had Seattle averaging more than 40,000 fans a game. You've had Toronto spending more money on players probably than just about any other team in the league. They also have had a strategy, it seems like, of signing designated players who are in their 20s, whether we're talking about Sebastian Jovinko, Nicolas Lodero, Michael Bradley, Josie Altidore. Now that other teams in the league see that you can do that and make a final and win a championship, are you hoping that more MLS teams might do that? You know, it's, I've been thinking about this a lot. The, the quick answer is, of course, you know, why would you not want to have the best players making MLS the league, their league of choice at the prime of their career and, and becoming sort of uh, these great uh, icons that represent what we always hoped MLS would be, which is one of the top leagues in the world. And I think, by the way, we're, we're getting close to being part of at least the conversation there. We can talk a bit about that. Uh, but I, and I will say that uh, when I think back at Henri and I think back at even at Gerard and Lampard and, and Pirlo, and you think at Robbie, who came here sort of at the prime of his career, but I think he was 30 or 31 when he got here. You know, these are guys that added enormous value to our league and to their clubs in their communities at that time. And I, I don't believe that we should ever have a, a strategy that doesn't uh, provide our clubs with the ability to sign the best possible players to achieve their goals within their economic uh, means that can help elevate their brand to what they want it to be. When you see what Atlanta did with El Maron, you know, those are things you start scratching your head and saying, wow, you know, this is a Paraguayan national team player. You see Suarez, you know, posting something about Fernandez and a message about Fernandez and about Ladero, you know, and the fact that he knows enough about Major League Soccer, one of the best players in the world, to see what his teammates are doing. Right via getting the, uh, the uh, MVP award, who's 34 years old, right? And he's certainly a guy that has, he's the best player in Major League Soccer this year. So I would hate to see that our guys wouldn't want to have a guy like David Villa in the league and trade that for somebody who's 20 and might someday be David, David Villa. But I am certainly pleased to see that we are changing the perception of our league here and abroad as one that cannot attract the best young players in the world within our means. Um, I want to get into a couple specific things here. Earlier this week, you talked about video review of refereeing. Uh, you told ESPN that you support instituting video review as soon as possible mid-season next year. Are you really comfortable making that big of a change in the middle of the season? Yeah, because we've been testing it in, during 16 with the USL. We're going to test it with MLS clubs in the first part of the season. We've been working on this grant for a year. Mm. With U.S. Soccer, with IFAB, with our own Peter Walton and his staff, we're busy buying all the technology and have already begun training what we call VAR, Video Assistant Referees. So the goal is to roll it out after All-Star. You know, if we can't get it to the point where it's going to be as good as it needs to be, then we can delay it. There's no immediacy to this where if we don't do it, something happens. The worst case scenario, we go forward the way we've had officiating, officiating for the last, you know, uh, 21 years. Uh, but I'm excited about it. I think the fact that IFAB and FIFA have driven this shows this great shift in the way the 
governors of the sport globally are thinking about the game, which I am really excited about. Always frustrated me that we weren't allowed to put microphones in the field and put GoPro cameras on our officials and be able to mic players while they're playing and do things that every other league does just because somebody in Scotland <laughs> or somebody in Zurich decides that it's not part of the rules of the game. Right. Well, this is a sport that's got to grow and evolve as, uh, as our industry and as people and as technology evolves. And if soccer is going to be the most popular sport in the world going forward, well, we, we better evolve as technology sort of brings all these things into our homes. Why should the official, for example, and you didn't ask this question, why should he be the only guy in the world during the World Cup final who knows when the game's going to end? Billions <laughs> of people are watching and only he knows. It, it's frustrating to me. I was watching the game last week with Bruce Arena, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of downtime. And Bruce turned to me and he said, I could assure you there's only going to be three minutes of extra time. And he knew, and I knew because we timed it, that there was at least five mm -hmm. and there was only three minutes. Hmm. I said, that doesn't seem right. Why would that be? And we joked around because he's my buddy now. And ultimately, I'm not quite sure how it'll end, but if it were up to me, I would even change the way extra time is calculated. And I think that would change player behavior. How does it feel to get along with the U.S. national team oh, coach again? <laughs> well, listen, I always got along with, with Jurgen. We didn't always see eye to eye. And I made a comment the other day. It might have even been in uh, ESPN article. You know, th this there were some personal aspects of what went on in, in my relationship with Jurgen because I believed that he didn't rate our league as, as high as we deserved to be rated. And that had a knock-on effect on... Jordan Morris, and many, many other things. But ultimately, I believe Jurgen loved the national team. He is an American. He's lived here for many, many years. He's got a son who's playing you know, for the U.S. and, and played up in uh, Northern California. Uh, we just didn't see eye to eye. But I, I'll tell you, and I'm sure that'll happen with Bruce too, it's not exactly like we've had a perfect relationship while Bruce has been, uh, been a coach of the Galaxy. Commissioners and coaches aren't necessarily supposed to be best buds. You know, I have a certain goal and responsibility and coaches have goals and responsibilities and every now and again, they'll be aligned and other times they'll be misaligned. We're essentially five years out from the year 2022, which is when you've stated your goal is for MLS to be one of the world's top leagues. I'll be honest. I, that seems like a daunting challenge to achieve, Don. So in what areas do you think you will be able to say you have done that in 2022 and have skeptics believe it? Yeah. Well, it starts with, you got to have a North Star. You know, you got to have a goal. Every, every person, I spoke to a high school soccer uh, team at their annual banquet last week. And I said, you must have a North Star. You must have a plan. And then you must be focused on your purpose on achieving that plan. Whether you're 17 years old as a, you know, a sophomore or you're 20 years old leaving college and leaving high school and going to college. You need a life plan and businesses need a plan and you need a vision. Our vision is to be one of the top leagues in the world. And when we laid it out to our owners, they too asked, boy, that seems like a pretty daunting task. But, you know, if you don't have big goals, then, you know, I think you're weak, right? So you got to have big dreams. As it relates to, to the, the vision on 22 grand, you know, I, I think, and we were talking about this internally, if somebody was to ask me, if you asked me, Grant, whether Mexico is one of the top leagues in the world, I'd say yes. Hmm. You know, they have a popular, valuable league. They've got great players. They've got a great national team. Their television ratings are high. It's well-respected. It's one of the higher than us in attendance. They're not the Premier League, but that's not what we ever said. We wanted to see it be in that pool of the most respected, best leagues in the world. So our goal is, I mean, we've got Mexico right in our sights, right? I think if we're able to beat them in the Champions League consistently like our national team, at least be more competitive, on, like our national team is, if we're able to see more players going back and forth, if we're ever able to get an interleague-type competition and we regularly beat them or regularly hold our own with them, then I think we can be part of that pool. Be as good as Mexico. I think we could achieve that by 2022. And then who's the next one on the list? I read something in the media yesterday that our average, we have more players making $100,000 a week in salary than Syria does. So, you know, some of this stuff is happening already. I don't expect we'll get the passionate Europhiles to believe that we're going to be as good as, uh, you know, maybe the top two or three, but we'll get there. We'll get there. 
You mentioned Mexico. Uh, Mexican teams are not going to be involved in Copa Libertadores moving forward now like they have been. Theoretically, they might have some more time on their hands in the schedule. Are we looking at more competitive games in the future between MLS teams and Mexican teams? Hoping, uh, if not looking, certainly talking about ways where that might happen. Mm -hmm. And the good news here is we've got a very close partnership between our league and Liga MX. Enrique Bonilla is a guy I speak to a lot, more than I speak to the head of any other uh, pro league, perhaps other than Richard Scudamore, who's a, who's a friend, and we spent some time together. Uh, we both sit on a executive committee of this new World League Forum, chaired by Richard and mm. uh, and Christian Seifert at the Bundesliga and Enrique at Liga Mex, all getting our leagues together to try to say, hey, we are a force that FIFA needs to reckon with. And when they're talking about schedule, when they're talking about this new uh, format for the World Cup Championships, you know, you got to talk to the leagues because this affects us every single day, our schedule, our players, our union agreements and the like. So while I have nothing to report on a Liga Mex MLS competition, mm -hmm. I will say that there's strong interest among our owners and our league and their owners and their league of trying to put something like that together. One big thing that happened this year was Donald Trump won the presidential election. That you would think might have a big influence on USA-Mexico relations. Um, how might a Trump administration impact MLS, and maybe more pertinent, Soccer United Marketing, which represents the Mexican national team in their games that take place in the U.S.? Well, you know, there's no doubt that the, the um, Hispanic population in our country is a force to be reckoned with. They're nearly 50 million strong. Univision is a valuable, popular voice of that, uh, of that community. Uh, and uh, it, it, it will not any political uh, changes in our country are not going to derail us from this positioning of being the league for a new America. I mean, there are tens and tens and tens of millions of Hispanics who love our sport. It is their sport of choice. And we're beginning to see uh, more and more connectivity with that community and our clubs. Our highest television rating of the year was the Galaxy San Jose game on the network Univision over the summer. And I don't see, think, see that changing at all. Uh, again, we are a league of young people and our fans are indexed higher as a percentage of our total audience being millennials than any other professional sports league. And young people have a whole different way of looking at life. And I don't think that's going to change just because we might have a new administration. So all of us who are operating businesses in our country need to be mindful of what happens when leadership in governments change. But I don't believe there is going to be any change in direction terms of what our positioning is, we're not going to hide behind uh, the, uh, the, the, the sentiment and, and derail us from what we think is a very important core value or core equity for our league. Um, there are some reports out that MLS is considering changing its playoff format, maybe not for 2017, but after that. You know how I feel about this, Don. I've <laughs> accepted the number of teams are going to basically stay the same or, or increase. But I want lower-seeded teams to have a higher hill to climb than they currently do in the playoffs, which would mean the regular season would matter more. Is there a chance that we could get to a playoff format where lower-seeded teams would have a higher hill to climb? Well, again, I don't know what matter more means. You know, I heard a, a coach many years ago, one who I know and love, basically say that the, the, the regular season doesn't have the value that it needs to have. And I called him up. I said, what are you talking about? You got a game on Saturday. I think you want to have your team win and you want to have your fans come to the stadium. And he said, Commissioner, you're right. So our regular season is valuable. And you know the race till the end. It's only the last couple of weeks before we even knew, know what our playoffs are going to look like. You have a handful of teams that lost on the last week. You had a handful of teams that had to go away on the road and have a higher hill to climb in order to get to the Cup. Seattle would be a good example of that. So I, I don't accept that the format is a inhibitor of creating value in the regular season. That being said, every league needs to look at its format to ensure that we have it right. And in MLS, and that we're still evolving, we need to look at it even more. You know, is the away goal rule the right approach? Jeff Agus commented the, uh, earlier today about some other things that might be looked at. 
Our technical uh, committee was made up of coaches and technical directors. Jeff represents us on that committee, talks about these things all the time. Our competition committee will talk about it right before MLS board meeting next week. There will be no changes in 2017. Will I say there won't be changes years from now? No. I, my guess is there probably will be. What those changes are, I really don't even know sitting here today. Uh, I'll direct you to a column I wrote arguing for Brian Strauss had the same idea. Um, I saved that article, by it, the way. It, good. It could you be our have. blueprint if we change it. We would love Might that. Might have to give you a royalty the, on the, that. <laughs> just do it and I'll be happy. I don't need the royalties, but groups, <laughs> group play in the in the first parts of the playoffs, I think that would be awesome. Uh I'm hoping that's the case. Um, MLS has two new teams coming in in 2017. First, let's talk Atlanta. This team is spending a lot of money in, on players, investing in a lot of different things, uh, spending a lot on their coach. Um, do you expect Atlanta to sustain this moving forward? Well, I expect them to sustain it. I mean, Arthur Blank's a brilliant guy. He's been incredibly successful. He's one of the you know, pioneers of American retail. So, uh, and has done a really good job with his, uh, his football team and other businesses that he owns. So I, I, it is definitely sustainable. It certainly raised the bar and, and that is, you know, it's, I'm intrigued by it. Uh, I didn't expect it. Uh, but, uh, if I think back at what my discussions with Arthur were when he was talking about coming into the league and I tell a story frequently about at the press conference, he got very emotional and said, I am buying into Major League Soccer because this is important to me as a father of a, of a soccer-playing uh, son and my, my wife who has soccer-playing children. All of them are playing, or a handful of them playing in college, and he was very emotional about that. I, I probably should have put that in the back of my mind, and when he signed Darren Eels and when he brought in Tata and when now reading about what he's doing with some of his DP signings, the young kid who was a, a star for the U-17s, Carlton, Charlton, Carlton, that uh, did so well, and he signed him as a homegrown. These are this is what you want, right? This is what every fan wants, and what will help build the uh, the interest in our league uh, throughout North America. The other new team coming in is Minnesota. They have plans to build a stadium for soccer, which is great. A lot of people I talk to around the league are concerned about Minnesota on the field and off the field, will they be ready for 2017? Can you oh, they'll be, they'll be ready, concerns? Grant. I mean, what they have uh, that, that some other teams have had, but others haven't, is, you know, they're already operating a team. You know, they were selling tickets and putting, Manny Lagos was building a team and, and had a coach and had players, you know, last month playing in the, uh, in the NASL. So it's not as if they're starting from scratch. In many ways, that's what Arthur had to do. Now, Arthur came, also came in a year before Minnesota, and he's had a year to prepare for it. But Bill McGuire is a really bright guy. And I spoke to him just a few days ago, and he was watching the Classico on TV. And I said, wow, you know, an owner you know, who's new to MLS, who's a passionate, avid, and knowledgeable soccer guy. And by the way, when, when there was a goal scored, you know, because I, I, I was watching it too, conversation ended, and we were just watching you know, the beauty of the game. They'll be fine. Uh, good partners in that market. You know, he's, he's going to be just fine. How many teams max do you think MLS should have in the end? You've committed to 28. Are we talking about 32? Are we talking about 40? What are, what are we looking at eventually? <laughs> well, we're talking about 28. And uh, to be fair, when we went from 10 to 12 and then 12 to 14, and then we thought maybe we would get to 20 and thinking that 20 was the goal, because that generally is the size of the, the largest league, at least in Europe, uh, I thought that would be it. And then we started seeing over the last four or five years such, so much interest in the game professionally at all levels in so many different markets in North America. We knew we needed to grow. Uh, we set 24, and now we're going to set 28. We'll announce the details on that on the 15th in terms of what's the process, what's the timing, what's the franchise fee, what kinds of things are we looking for in an application, et cetera, et cetera. And I believe that 28 is that number. But I've also learned uh, now in my 17th season uh, that the decisions you're making today that you think are the decisions that are going to set you up for the future evolve when the world changes. And the world of professional football in North America is changing dramatically obviously in real time with uh, some issues at the, the lower divisions and opportunities there. So uh, I would say it's 28, but certainly some other commissioner at some point might be sitting with you when you're at your 30th 
MLS Cup and saying, uh, you know, here's our goal. That might be bigger than 28. When I ask players on the U.S. women's national team about the most important steps their league, the NWSL, could take, they all say the number one thing would be to have more MLS teams owning NWSL teams than the current three. Is that going to happen? I think it will, without doubt. Yeah, I mean, there's already discussions going on in our current markets and even some of the newer markets that are looking to come in. Okay. Any specifics on that? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um a few more questions here on specific markets. Um, in St. Louis, prospective MLS owners are looking to get $80 million from the public in a vote that could come in April. If the public says no in that vote, is St. Louis dead with MLS? Well, you know, I, I, that's a question for them, Grant, and they'll be here. So you might want to uh, uh, chat with them about that. You know, the, the, the cost of, produ- of building stadiums Uh, are going up dramatically. And the support that other leagues get for uh, stadiums from the public uh, continues to grow across the country. You've seen it in Las Vegas in their bid to bring a team there, both a hockey team and and, uh, maybe even a football team. You see it just about everywhere. So I believe that the jobs that are created, the value that's brought to the community, uh, the return on that investment in terms of creating tax dollars, tax revenues for the community warrant a public uh, engagement. And uh, I'm very supportive of what uh, St. Louis is doing. I've gotten more calls from mayors and governors over the last couple of months pledging their support to bringing an MLS team into uh, our league that I think we finally earned the, uh, the right by proving the value that we've been able to create uh, for the community to have a seat at the table in these discussions. In Miami, it's been more than a thousand days since the press conference announcing David Beckham had chosen Miami for his MLS team. Is there a deadline where you just might have to cut bait and say this isn't happening in Miami? You know, there is a deadline. I'm not going to uh, do, um, you know, share that with you publicly, you can. but uh, I can, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> there is a deadline. And I think everybody knows that we've got to get this thing moving or figure out uh, what uh, uh, David's uh, plans and alternatives are and what the league needs to do. Because clearly, if if we're going to teams 25 to 28 and we've not resolved team 24, it has a knock-on effect and has a real uh, impact on our, our expansion strategy. I mean, Beckham has already appeared in Las Vegas at events in connection to the stadium being built there. Why not just let him start a team in Vegas? Uh, we haven't talked about that, and uh, it's not something at this point that's part of the agreement that we have with him. Uh, any update on stadium situations for New England and NYCFC? Well, I'll start with NYCFC. I, I said this the other day. There are no updates, um, and I know they're working hard to figure out uh, what their stadium future might be. I've got a lot of respect for that organization. They are a really great operator both of their Premier League clubs and Australian clubs and certainly uh, what they've been able to do in MLS. And the guy who is running it for them is a New York City guy. He's really smart. He's a close guy that I rely on for advice in a lot of different areas. Uh, But there are no plans. But by the way, Yankee Stadium's turned out to be so much better than anybody had ever expected. Uh, Yankees are great partners. The grounds crew has been remarkable. You know, there are things that perhaps they could do that might you know, expand the field. And that's something that would be great. uh, I I think they'd like to see, you know, if there's a way to do that. Uh, As it relates to New England, you know, you, it, it it sort of sounds a little bit like what I say about Miami and other markets, but it is what it is. And that's that the crafts want to build a soccer stadium. They've been talking about it for a long time. It's like developing a stadium in New York city. It's big city. It's very dense. Uh, It's probably more dense in that it is smaller than New York, than, than even New York City's five boroughs are. And, and there have been challenges in finalizing uh, uh, a, uh, a deal or a plan to be able to achieve that. But there will be a soccer stadium in Boston at some point. I'm very confident about that. And you actually chose Boston, not, not a suburb. Was that by design? Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful, and I think they are, that it's in Boston, yeah. Okay, me too. Um, U.S. Soccer President Sunil Gulati has said that he now supports term limits for his position. Um, and I'm wondering, do you as well, for U.S. soccer, 
Do you think Sunil should run again in 2018, which he could? And do you have any interest in being the U.S. soccer president at well, some point? I, I don't. Uh, you know, I've got my hands full running MLS and running some. Uh, I'm an active, I am the longest standing member of the U.S. soccer board. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a meeting the other day. I think I've only missed two or three meetings in 17 years. Hmm. I'll miss the first AGM this year because it will be in Hawaii and conflicts with the opening of the MLS season. Uh, so I'm very committed to being a responsible, committed board member. I think of that role both in running what's called the pro council, which I am elected to lead, and that represents professional soccer, but also to be a thoughtful member of contributing and how do we grow the sport. Uh, but, uh, you know, as long as I'm commissioner, I don't think I can be uh, the president of the federation and I'm not interested in doing that. And listen, I'm a, I'm a good, I'm, I'm a very close friend of Sunil's and I think he does not get enough credit for what he's done to help grow the sport in our country and the time he spent as a volunteer to, you know, be a leader of the sport on the global stage. Uh, when you're a public figure and I am and he is, you just got to accept the fact that not everybody's going to love you. Uh, and if you got a 50% approval rating, you're ahead of the game and ahead of most, you know, uh, politicians. Uh, these are difficult jobs. I get paid to do this, but it is my life. Sunil doesn't get paid to do it, and it is it is life. And that should not be lost on people. He is a volunteer who's committed his life to uh, service of the game, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. Would you like to see him run again? You know, I, have, I tell you, Grant, I have not had that conversation with him. And, and though I think people, if you're on the internet, think that we're really engaged in a lot of these political details, we're not. Uh, I, I know that he has been a supporter of term limits and, and uh, I support that. Uh, but I have not had a conversation with him as to whether he wanted to run again. Uh, if he wanted to run again, we would support him. It's expected that U.S. soccer will bid for World Cup 2026 to host that tournament. Uh, U.S. is the favorite right now when you talk to people to get that tournament. Uh, do you want to see that happen, that bid? And do you want to see, if you, if so, do you want to see the U.S. bid alone or with a potential co-host like Canada or Mexico? Well, certainly want to see us bid and I want to see us win. Uh, one of the biggest disappointments in my, my career is losing to Qatar. Uh, and it is what it is and we'll manage through it. But uh, the World Cup, well, we all hope will be here in 26. That gives us a 10-year you know, horizon to be able to think about what kinds of things all of us need to do to build a sport over that 10-year period when you'll have the biggest sporting event in the world here in our shores. Uh, as it relates to Canada and Mexico, I mean, those are discussions that are going on at the U.S. soccer board level as to what the board's level of support of that will be. It's not something I can talk about here now, but I will say it's, it's not yet, there's no unanimity around that table as to whether or not uh, a continental World Cup makes sense. We have a new FIFA president this year, Gianni Infantino, replaced Sepp Blatter. What are your thoughts on Infantino so far and some of the things he's doing, both in terms of cleaning up the reputation of FIFA internationally, but also some of these World Cup proposals about 48 teams? And you know, it's, it's interesting, Grant. I, I think anytime anybody comes in, I could sure you will happen in MLS. If I left com the commissioner, some guy would come in and say, here are the 20 asinine things Garber did, and, <laughs> and I'm just going to turn the lights on and hear all my new ideas. And, and, and it's, it's possible that many, if not most of them, will be great ideas. So I applaud Gianni trying to, to push the envelope and thinking about things differently, managing his relationship with all of his constituents in a way where it's more inclusive, having a diverse environment with his management team. Uh, but it's a really tough job. And uh, I think he's seeing that it's really difficult. You know, you're almost a quasi head of state when you're the president of FIFA and you're not just running a sport, you know, you're, you're engaged in people's lives and, and, and the thing that they're most passionate about. So I, I, I don't know whether it's a, a year yet. I did tell him when I see him, be sure you have a, a 90 day plan and, uh, and put those, the two or three things in that you must um, uh, achieve. I didn't ask him what those things were, but um, hopefully he's achieved them. You mentioned the NASL earlier and the uncertainty at the lower levels of American club soccer right now. I never understood what the revival of the New York Cosmos wanted to be, what their sort of ambition was. What did you make of what they wanted to be? Well, you know, the proper answer would be, that's a good question for uh, Seamus O'Brien. Uh, but 
you know, you, you and I go back a long way. I think they, um, um, and I think it'll just be more interesting for hopefully those who will re, uh, listen to the podcast. Uh, you know, the, 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 the world of professional soccer is still evolving. And there's an irony to the fact that, that MLS has become the man. You know, we've become sort of the established entity as opposed to the, the disruptor that we were when we came on the, uh, on the scene. Uh, and that took 20 years and billions and billions of dollars of investment. But most importantly, it took a very, very focused, steady plan that we never waved, wavered from. We, we were very focused on building our teams in their markets, on getting stadiums built, not spending beyond our means, being engaged in the global football community or the global soccer community, investing in marketing and content and great media partnerships, investing in players at the top and then at academies. And it was focused. Yeah, the plan's really thick, right? And the original plan is not that much different from what we have now. It just has you know, new addendums, if you will. And I don't know that when the Cosmos came in or some, or some of the other teams have come in, they really came into it as a plan. Uh, they had an individual approach, and, and they'll have to talk about that. But this uniqueness of our structure grant, this concept of the partnership that our owners have with each other, allows us to have a shared vision. And that shared vision was there to prevent there being any disruption or chaos caused by one owner or the other. And as I think about what perhaps went on in the NASL, and I made this comment the other day, is that there was not a shared vision amongst all of the owners as to what it is that they wanted to do. I believe the USL has that shared vision. Uh, I hope that they can work out some scenario, and Sunil's working hard, as is Carlos Scudero, on this, to create a format or create a, a strategy for all of them to work together uh, and know what they are and not try to be what they're not. And if they're able to do that, I think we'll have success. We've talked about a lot here. What's on your mind that we haven't addressed as far as this league is concerned? Things that are important to you. Well, as you were going through your questions, I realized it would be really cool for me to post the commissioner's SoundCloud playlist so that everybody can share some of the great music that, that I listen to. You know, I think there, there are so many things uh, that are on our list, Grant, that we, we have uh, got to achieve in order for us to get to that, that goal that we have. Uh, it really does start on the field. You know, we are, we're investing in the middle of our rosters with the targeted allocation money, plan and you're seeing players like the Piatis of the world coming in under that program and, the, and providing uh, strength in the middle of our rosters. Uh, we still are trying to make sense out of the player development investments that we're making north of $50 million as a league. If you were going to add the investments that our clubs have made on the facility-wise, facility, just four teams, Kansas City, Toronto, Montreal, five teams, uh, Salt Lake, and, and uh, soon one or two others. You're talking about several hundred million dollars in youth facility academy investments. That has not yet paid off, and we've got to figure that out. But if we could continue to build the bottom of our rosters and have more and more homegrown players coming through our system, and then we could have the middle of our rosters have the strength that we think it could have with the way we can strategically invest our money. And if we can continue to bring in the right DPs, then our league is going to look very differently uh, in the years to come. And I think that will make everybody happy and that will make them proud. We certainly have got to get expansion right. I live, but not the cosmos of today, but the cosmos of yesteryear and the NASL of yesteryear. You know, I do live with one eye open thinking about uh, the need to be mindful about expanding too quickly or to be um, not careful about how we do that, to not get enticed to spend more than we're able to to try to reach our goal faster because that will create you know instability. We need to do better and be more focused on how we're promoting and marketing our league and we're investing significantly in 2017 and beyond in a wide variety of content initiatives that our staff is going to be creating thousands of hours of video programming that we're going to produce and distribute to Fox and ESPN and Univision, all of our local partners, because 
that's not being done for us like it's done for all the leagues. And when you put all that into a pot, you realize our new television deals are in, uh, up for renewal until 2023. Right. So that just means more and more investment to try to build value that hopefully can lead to more revenue opportunity, if you will, with TV deals many, many years from now. So that has me a little nervous. You know, it has me mindful that we, we do need to be uh, careful. Two things that I think are really important. I have been spending a lot of time, more so than ever before, because I can with Mark Abbott running the league side and Gary Stevenson running our business. I've been spending more time with players. Hmm. Uh, Luis Robles was in uh, the office the other day. And what a bright, focused, really, really terrific young man who's doing an inter internship for a hedge fund during oh, really? his off-season. Huh. And we're going to start bringing in more players to help them prepare for life after playing and hopefully keep them in the business. We did that with John Thorington, who worked for a while in the league before he went to LAFC. We certainly did that with Ali Curtis, who's doing such a great job, Tim Bestichenko here in Toronto. So we're trying to create our own ecosystem where we have our players who are the most knowledgeable about our sport as players continuing their careers as technical people or business people or even someone like yourself, a media person. And I think that's going to raise the water level. The last thing is, and I talked, I'm going to talk about this in my State of the League, we've just completed a year-long research strategy project with the Boston Consulting Group to go out and analyze the soccer market in North America. Hmm. How big is it? Who are they? How are they segmented? What do they think about our league? What do they think about other leagues? What do they want to see from Major League Soccer <coughs> to become more of a fan, to turn on and then turn in by being fans uh, in stadium. And all of that is giving us data and is giving us the ability to analyze how we make our decisions so that, going back to your first question, it's not just a bunch of guys sitting in a room and saying, hey, wouldn't this be fun? You know, it is a really focused, energized, comprehensive approach. Don Garber, thanks for talking to the podcast. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Don Garber as well as everyone at Digital Media and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Thanks also to our sponsor, Mac Weldon. If you enjoyed this episode, there are plenty of other great new and archived episodes you can check out, including my recent interviews with Bruce Arena, Juan Carlos Osorio, Garth Lagerway, David Villa, and Gary Lineker. You can subscribe to and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.